This is a great community, and we're going to be talking a little bit about that today and how important it is, but also how to keep it and how to grow it and how to make sure the next generation has it. So if you guys would, uh, if you guys have Bibles, you could turn to uh, Psalm 78. I'm going to go through verses 1 to 8 and uh, see what the Lord has for us today. And so I'll start by praying and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us all here, all of us that could come. And I pray that you would uh, just be with those who are sick or under the weather. Bring health, Lord. Lord, I ask that my words would be your words and that uh, you would be glorified and, and exalted And I pray that your word would not return void as you say it won't, and that it would go into the hearts of the people who need it and the people who need to uh, learn specific things. I pray that that would happen through your word and through the power of it. And so we thank you for your word. Thank you for giving it to us and for revealing yourself in it so that we as a human race would not have to wander aimlessly but could have uh, a guiding light. We thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So, I'm going to read Psalm 78, 1 through 8. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us we will not hide them from their children. But tell them to the uh, coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that... They should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. This is the word of the Lord. So this sounds really familiar to that passage that we read at the beginning Deuteronomy 6, the Lord is basically reminding the the Israelites again through this psalm, hey, you guys have to pass this on. And so the overall idea of what I'm going to be speaking about today in these first eight verses is to build Christ's kingdom now and in the future, we need to remember and we need to retell and relay God's word to the next generation. In this way, those that come after us, those in Christ's body, will be strong, faithful, and steadfast, full of obedience and hope. Does it sound like anything we need, maybe, in this country? That's right. Uh, So that's the general idea of what we're we're going to be. You could call that the thesis statement. So we're currently in in this Nehemiah series. And so... Let me just talk about walls for a moment. Nehemiah is all about the, uh, the building of the walls, and we've been talking about rebuilding, and the question is, what are we building? What are we building? And so <clears throat> as we look around, we see 
we look out into society, and especially in this country, and we see just rubble, right? We see a wasteland. It's, it's a bit crazy. It's chaotic. It's knocked down. It's destroyed. It's a mess. Something that needs fixing. It, there's clearly uh, something amiss. Something is wrong. Something is uh, wrong, and we can't ignore it. And these walls are down all over. By necessity, the world has to have walls. There has to be boundaries. Things that are defined have edges, right? If you have something, there's, a, there's an extent, there's a limit to that thing. And everything is defined by boundaries. The atmosphere has a boundary. Um, cells in your body, individual cells have cell walls. Homes and businesses have walls, uh, both physical walls and uh, organizationally, structurally. Churches have walls in the same way we've got physical walls, and we've got organiza- organizational walls. And even uh, a member directory is a type of a wall. It's a type of boundary. It says who are the people that the elders are charged to care for their souls. Um, so a member directory would be a type of a wall. Human beings have a wall. We have our, our physical skin, right? It keeps the, the bad germs out and the good germs in. And it outlines where, where I am. I'm defined by this boundary. So without walls, what do you get? Without walls, you get dissipation. What's inside flows outside. And it mixes with, when what's inside flows to the outside, it mixes with what's out there and it loses its identity. When the walls go down, things lose their identity. Without walls, what was once a whole, a unit, becomes fragmented and dissipated. Um, what was once set apart tends to conform. Think about that. What was once set apart conforms without a boundary, without a wall. It is Christ or chaos, my friends. Since the modern church has taken its hands off the steering wheel of society, um, it, it, chaos is out there, right? I talked about that earlier. It's clear. You can't look and not see it. The boundaries have been lost, and the walls between good and evil have been rubbed out, right? They've been purposely smudged out, and even boundaries all the way down to uh, what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman are being wiped out, which is insanity, right? Utter insanity. It's chaos. So Christ's command is for all believers to build his kingdom. That's why when we get saved, we're not wrapped up to heaven because Christ has a plan for this earth, and we are part of that plan. So that plan, God gives it to us in the dominion mandate in Genesis, and also he re- Jesus reiterates it in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew. His kingdom is one of order. It's exclusive. That's, that's a novel idea. You can't even say that anymore, right? Oh, there's an edge to it. There's people in and there's people out. No, this isn't all the same. The kingdom of God is one of order and it's exclusive. It's offensive to even say that. It's offensive to unbelievers to say, hey, there's a boundary and you're outside the boundary. You can't even hardly say that anymore. But this is the reality that uh, God has set up. It's Christ who is the tipping point. Christ is the point at which someone believes or doesn't believe, and whether they're in or out. And those of us who are in, we love God, and we love Christ, and we obey his, his commandments. Um, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments.
So as a sidebar, this is not an anti-missions thing. So we are in an age in the world where Christ is working to purify and to grow his church. People not yet in the body of Christ have to be able to look in and say, hey, there's an actual different thing over there that's maybe that's good and maybe I want to be in there. If they were all the same, that would be impossible. They must long to be safe inside the fold where there's a boundary, there's a wall, um, and inside the fold we've got Adoption into Christ's family, we got justification, where, hey, you're legally held righteous before uh, God. And we've got sanctification, the continuing process of becoming more and more like Christ. There has to be a distinction. If you wipe out the distinction, there's nowhere for them to go. Revelation twenty-two seventeen says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. There has to be something good for the people without to come to, if that makes sense. There's a boundary. What moves the believer from the outside of the wall to the inside is the gift of faith. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in their heart. And we are, giving, we are given a specific set of commands today in order to retain these walls. Right, We uh, read uh, the first eight verses, and there's some stuff in there that, te- that tells us how to keep the walls up so that there's a place for them to come into. And I heard someone say once, you can't replace a culture or a belief system with nothing or with more of the same. If you want to replace something, you have to have something to replace it with. So if I have a disastrous home life, I have to, I can't just say, we're all going to stop acting this way. I have to say, no, here's the new way for us to press into and act. You have to replace something bad with something good, or it's a vacuum, and it'll just, it won't even, it'll be like it never happened. So, this is not anti-missions. We have to ask ourselves some questions. So, what, what do we need to build, right? Um, or perhaps rebuild in some cases. How do we live? How do we? How do we go about this? Uh, what do we? What happens if we if we make this work? What happens if this this um, this completes? This process completes. And so we're going to take a, a look at this, and it's a blueprint of sorts. And this is a historical psalm. So I went through the uh, first eight verses. There's uh, a lot more verses, and it's a lot of history in here. There's 72 verses, and this is it's basically what happens when they didn't do the thing that it says to do. What happens when they didn't? Well, it's a repeating pattern of, of <laughs> it's a sad pattern, right? They're doing good. They forget God. They forget to say, hey, kids, this is all because of God. And now, now it's just us. Look how great we are. And then, boom, uh, everything falls apart. And that's the pattern that we see in the Old Testament and This is what we have to pay attention to. So that's what the rest of the psalm is. So we're going to focus today on verses uh, 1 to 8. So without walls, that that which was once set apart has to conform. It starts to conform. Keep that in mind. The Israelite people were chosen by God and set apart. In Leviticus 20, 26, it says, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy 
And here's what the Lord says to his people. I have separated you from the peoples so that you should be mine. He's basically saying, we've got all these people on earth. I'm drawing a boundary around you guys. You're going to be mine, and you're going to be separate from the people. Now, to be set apart, many of us know what that means. That's another way to say the word holy. Holy means to be set apart. Holy It's to be defined. It's to be made unique, right? Like he says, separate. I'm separating you from the peoples. It's to be kept separate for a specific, special purpose. So God was the one who separated. He set apart this Israelite nation um, for his glory and to be the means of global salvation. Salvation comes from the Jews, as it says in the New Testament, because Christ is the line of Christ. So he had a plan He says, I'm going to draw a wall around this group of people, and this is going to be, you're going to be set apart, or in other words, holy. So when I say set apart, you can think the word holy, or vice versa. Um, um, Exodus 19 says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God had a, a job for them to do, and it was to be the mediators, the means by which the world is saved. And when he says a holy nation, he's saying you are set apart. So when they were first coming into the promised land, if you guys remember the story of the Old Testament early on, right, um, they they escape slavery through all the plagues, right? God does a a bunch of miracles. He wipes out Egypt. They get out of there, and they're going to a place called the promised land. And this is called the land of Canaan, right? It was inhabited by warring tribes of a lot of really rough people who were not set apart. Right before they went in, God, um, through Moses, wrote Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy 6, God instructs the Israelites to do a couple things in order to remain set apart, in order to keep their boundaries, in order to not conform. And <clears throat> what he told them to do is remember, retell, and relay my ways. So back to uh, Psalm 78, verses 1 to 4. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your words to the words of my mouth. Listen up is what he's saying. He's saying, listen up. I will give, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. That's an interesting bit of wording there. Um, especially what jumps out to me is dark sayings. and what, is, what does that mean, right? So I had to look this up. Um, it's The dark sayings language here does not mean evil things or, or wrong things, but it's referring to mis- deep and mysterious truth. So you think of dark sayings, think of, think of shrouded in mystery, covered over to where light falls on some of it, but maybe not other parts of it. Um, in other words, it's parables. Parables are what he's talking about. And... This is actually quoted, and the reason it, you know, it says parables right here, but it's quoted in Matthew when you're talking about what Jesus is saying, parables. And these are handed down bits of wisdom. These are veiled or partially covered to some people, but not others, right? Some people will understand a parable. Some people won't. They're old sayings, they're old tales, and these are things that they've had at this stage when this was written from back in the old days. Um, 
they had these lessons, they were passed down, but not perfectly followed, right? There's enough mystery there that people were, were sinful and they didn't follow them perfectly. Verse 4 says, We will not hide them from their children, but tell the, the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. So this is the key theme of this passage. A reminder not to forget these old sayings, not to hide them, to uncover them, to tell the future generations what about the Lord. We want to tell the future generations the glories of the Lord, the things he's done, what what kind of a God is he, how great is he, what does he do, what did he do for me last year, what did he do in the Bible 2,000 years ago. This is what we're supposed to pass on. It is in this manner that these boundaries are kept. It's in this manner that the walls are retained and not lost. So remember, retell, and relay. These are things we can't do in a vacuum. Um, this is done in a community. Remembering is something I can do for myself, but to, to really remember it, I have to act it out. I have to speak it. I have to, I have to say it. I have to, re- I have to tell it to my kids. I have to tell it to you guys. We're relaying it to each other as we live in this community, and this is something you can't do um, in a vacuum. So it's this is to obey these commands is how you stay set apart. It's how you stay not a Canaanite. It's how you stay holy. And... Um, the psalmist says, we will not hide the sayings of old from our children. This phenomenon is a redemptive community. This is what we do as the body of Christ, as the church, is we tell each other about the Lord. The, yeah, we do it from up here. This may not be your thing. This may not be your gift. But we all are ministers to one another. This is redemptive community. Um, the Shema, which was that second part of uh Deuteronomy 6, in the bulletin, the, the, the lower part, it's the famous part that says, Hear, O Israel, and it's in plural. You all shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all, your, all of your soul, and all of your might. And you all must teach them diligently to all your children, all that come after you. God's instructing them that he's saying this is the way, this is the means by which to stay faithful by which to remain set apart, by which to continue to be holy. And in this, this is something that you need to remember and retell and relay to the next generation. And so it's, they use the language of fathers and, and um, children and generations, uh, but it's plural and meant for a group of people. We are a group of people. If you don't have kids... You can still participate in this. You are somebody's kid, and Lord willing, you will have a kid, but you have a friend. You know, you have co-workers. This is for all of us. Um, as God commanded, we also can remember, and we can remember together by retelling and relaying this information about the Lord. An important part of this is the storytelling. Now, you a couple times we've talked about this. We talked about this uh, around Christmas time last year. There's this storytelling where we get together, and I'm thinking about times when people come over, and next thing you know, we're talking about this amazing thing happened. Like this is, and we're doing it in practice 
this is just a cool story that happened. And the Lord came through. The Lord's glorified. He did this thing. It's amazing. Like, I couldn't have done this by myself, or this thing was a disaster. And that is just one way that this happens in this community and that we got to keep doing. Um, so we, we recount his great deeds. This is how God is great. This is what he's done. We retell them and re, we relay them to each other in a constant and pervasive and re- repetitive manner. Fathers, relay God's greatness to your family. Mothers, recount and retell to your young ones the things that the Lord has done. And we do this over and over so that they remember, and it boosts our memory as well. Children um, are supposed to learn and to retell this as well. They can retell their siblings. They can um, embrace this idea, and they can mentor. If If you're 16, there's no reason why you can't mentor a 13-year-old young man in this same room. And make sure that when you're hanging out with this guy, he's looking up to you. You're pointing him to Christ. You're pointing him to the Lord because God is great, and this is what we're supposed to do. Um, So looking at and being focused on and steadfastly gazing at God's glory sets us apart. You cannot look on God. You cannot look on God and not be changed. God is that powerful. If you guys remember, last year we talked about the body of Christ mindset in Colossians. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. That's, this same con- that's the same idea in practice. Think about the good things. Think, think about the things that are of the Lord. The Apostle Peter um, confirms that. He confirms that we, the church, are a set-apart People were a set apart, boundary boundaried group of people. First Peter two nine says, "But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light." The same language, all the way through the Bible. You're separate. Your God's special possession, you need to declare the Lord's goodness as a result because he has brought us out of a wonderful light. I hope the batteries are good in this thing. Um, if you guys can't hear me, I'll just repeat it. So, in other words, we are distinctly not Canaanites, right? We're not Canaanites. Do you guys understand what that means? We're not part of the surrounding culture. There's a boundary around what we are. It, de- uh, it defines the kingdom. It defines the body of Christ. We are a people. We're a culture. And the body of Christ must stay that way. It must remember what God's done and what God is. And it must re- retell and relay to those younger and also to those around you, right? Not just downward, to those to the side, in a sense. Um, so in this way, we can obey Psalm 78 and uh, Deuteronomy 6. And this commands us to make a continual effort and to help each other re- remember. This is a tangible, this takes tangible action. So what, let's dig into what is it that we remember? What is it that we retell to each other and relay to each other? 
And um, so we're going to look at uh, verse 5. Uh, Psalm 78, 5 says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. So we're going to look at what's the content of what we're supposed to remember, retell, and relay. There's two things here. There's the testimony, which is interesting, and there's the law. And both are established by God and given to us in his word. So the English word testimony has origins in Latin. And it comes from the verb testari, which means to bear witness or to testify to. And there's, there's this legal connotation like you're in, a, you're in a court or something. God is the author of his own story, in a sense, his own testimony, and his own timeline and all the things he does and all the things he's write, written and put into the word, his own revelation to himself is what we are supposed to testify to, what we're supposed to bear witness to. It's, it's, the, it's everything in here. It's the knowledge of his glory. It's his greatness. It's his deeds. It's everything together. That's the Lord's testimony. These are the uh, words that we have in the Bible. And so he also, he also established his law, which we're a lot more familiar with. We, the law is a term that we use a lot, also a legal term, by the way. Um, God establishes law, which is his perfect standard of obedience and holiness as described in the commands and the statutes and the ordinances given to us, given to those, everybody who would worship and love God and serve him. Um, John Calvin says about this in verse 5, he says, Any doctrine by men would not be a sufficient reason for, for yielding this firm assent to the truth. Uh, the prophet proceeds further and represents God as the author, God as the author of what he brings forward. The fathers were not led to instruct their children in those truths that the, that the men created, right? And, and hey, hey, this is what we've, this is kind of this thing we developed. No, they were, they were commanded to relay the testimony of God and the law of God, the commandments of God. His attributes, his acts, and his, his greatness are of such supreme quality that we are, we are required to bear witness to it. We are required to tell it and to relay it to one another. This is obedience plus communication, right? You can't, it'd be one thing if we told somebody about the law, but if I don't obey the law, I would have a hard time doing both of these. It's obedience and communication. We must obey his law, remember his testimony, testify and bear witness to uh, the, the law and the testimony and retell and relay it to the next generation and to each other. And so once we've been adopted into the body of Christ, we're not our own. We have, we have this duty. There's, we're, not, we're, not like, we're not like a teenager in his room. No, that guy has chores to do, right? This is a duty, and this is uh, an obligation, something that, we're, that God is telling us to do. It's a command to bear witness um, and to testify and speak of it. Um, it's not just preaching. It's everyday. It's everyday communication. We can all do this at all time. It's remembering, retelling, and relaying. Every Christian should do this in, when they're at work, uh, when they're at home, wherever they're at. So if you want to know if someone is a believer or not, 
It should be obvious if they follow this. You could, if you have a believer who's following these commands, everybody should know it. Everybody should know it. Because Deuteronomy 6 goes on and on about how you're supposed to staple God's word to your forehead. They use the word frontlets in there, and I had to look that up. And frontlets is like back in the, in the ancient times, people would wear these headbands and they'd have little danglies, little gold coins and stuff like fancy, right? So far out of my culture that I could barely understand it. But he's saying, this thing should be in front of, my word should be in front of your eyes. It should be pasted to your walls. It should be written on a notepad. It should be, you know, sticky noted on, your, on the inside of your car. It should be obvious because somebody following these rules is going to be surrounded by Scripture. This is saying surround your life, surround yourself with God's word and relay it. We have this law on this testimony. And um, I keep going back to one of my favorite passages. And it perfectly expands and unpacks what law and testimony is. And this is Psalm 119, 33 to 40, which I'm going to read. It says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law, and I will observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies, there's that word, and not to selfish gain. He's contrasting it. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Verse 39, turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. And behold, I long for your precepts, your precepts, in your righteousness, give me life. That's Psalm 119, 33 to 40. So he uses a number of words that fleshes out this idea of law and testimony. He uses statutes. He says law, commandments, testimonies, your ways, your promise, your rules, and your precepts. So that's the expanded definition of what it means to be set apart, to be holy, to be not a Canaanite, right? Um, keep observing, delighting, and, and inclining towards, as the psalmist says, the Lord's ways, fearing the Lord, avoiding reproach, and longing for his precepts. There's a lot in here. There's a lot of cause and effect in here. It's the definition. It's the very picture of this barrier, of the wall that we have to keep. It's the difference and it's the division that separates the kingdom of God from the kingdom of the world. Remember, without walls, what's set apart conforms. Romans 12, 2 this says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So this is what we're rebuilding. It's the future kingdom. And in Psalm 78, we're looking at a blueprint. It's a simple blueprint on how to make this happen. How to get this wall back up. How to become and stay set apart. How to retain your, your set-apartness. How to 
keep being not a Canaanite, right? Remembering, retelling, and relaying God's testimony and law, it transforms our minds and our hearts, and it sets us apart. And it does the same for those who come after us. It does the same for the children and your friends and your coworkers. So, what happens? What happens when we do this? The reward is reformation. It's faithfulness, obedience. And this is all here in the, in the last part of this passage. It's faithfulness, obedience, steadfastness in following, strength in serving God. It's a picture of submission to the supremacy of Christ. Verse 7 and 8. So I'm going to start, I'm going to start uh, reading in verse 6. I, at first I thought about Naming this section, the consequences. What are the consequences of following this? But that kind of has a negative. You know, it's literally, it's literally woodenly correct, or the results. But I'm calling it rewards because the benefits are really good. You'll agree that's the right term. I'll start in verse 6. It says, that the next generation might know them. And this is children not unborn, yet unborn. And arise and tell it to their children, so that... They should set their hope in God and not forget the words of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers who were stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So this portion is loaded with these benefits, loaded with these good results or rewards for what happens when we obey the first part. It's a picture of what it looks like inside the boundary, what it looks like inside the church or the kingdom of God, what it looks like to be set apart, to be not a Canaanite, to be holy. So first, the next generation will know God's law and testimony. They'll know it. Future men and women won't know if today's boys and girls aren't taught. If they're not told, if you don't tell a young boy, then the man he becomes won't know. And once taught that there's a downstream benefit, and that is that they will teach it to their children, they'll pass this knowledge on actively to the next generation. And this is key, this is critical. This is a key in kingdom building, so that, in verse 7 says, so that they'll have hope in God so that they won't forget his works and so that they'll keep his commandments. Are you guys looking at a world that needs hope? I mean, to the extreme, right? There's a lot of hopeless people out there. Well, what do we do about it? We have, to, we have to point them to the word. We have to repetitively teach and relay this information to them And the result is, not only will they hope, but they won't forget his great deeds, and they'll keep his commandments. That's another thing we could use a bit of, God's commandments being followed and kept. And lastly, verse 8, this this one, he changes gears a little. I like this verse. He says, so that they will have steadfast hearts, um, faithfulness, and he gets very specific. He says, unlike the corrupt previous generation. So if we look at the current generation, do we see any corruption? Do we see any lack of 
steadfastness or faithfulness? And we certainly do, and this is the fix. And so verse 8, it's a story of reform. It's saying, hey, you've got something that's dissipated, something that's corrupted. We've got a well-defined thing that's been, the walls have been removed, and it's corrupted with what's outside of it. And it's dissolved and just disintegrated. And it's how do we get that thing put back together? This this is all in verse eight. It lays this. It lays out the sorry state of the previous generation, and it promises that the next one won't be like this them. If there's an if, if the directions are followed, if this blueprint is followed, we're going to see a change from the corrupt generation to the generation that knows the Lord's ways, follows His commands, and has hope has hope. We need this hope. And rhetorical question, you know, has the, has the Christian community in this country seen any, any uh, dissolution, any disintegration? Um, need this kind of reform. Does this apply to us? I would say, yeah. Rhetorical question is a question you don't have to answer because we all know it. Um, this is, <laughs> so they're, they're, they're defining. This is, this is hitting close to home. They're defining us. And so we're looking at a blueprint. By remembering, retelling, and relaying God's law and testimony, the reward is a return to get, regaining this defined barrier, this defined border, these walls. And it's a return to not being a Canaanite. It's a return to being set apart now I can be set apart. There's a boundary there. It's a return to being holy. It's a return to holiness. And that's what this is. All right. So, as we're going to wrap this up, I won't say that the kingdom of God needs rebuilt exactly. Because, here's why. Because Isaiah 9-7 tells us that it will never stop growing. Right? It's not this mathematical linear line. There's going to be places where you're going to see some of this disintegration, where there's a piece of that wall that's knocked down. But overall, we can be sure um, that whether or not we see lost ground, overall, the Lord is building his kingdom. And so, you know, we're definitely looking at that today. I mean, it's illegal to talk about God in public schools. It's just illegal. Hey, I'm going to send my kid to school. It's illegal. It's illegal for them to follow this blueprint on how to have a good future generation. It's illegal to do this at the school. Is that? Is, I mean, if you think about that, it's like, wow, how'd that happen? Who let that happen? And why aren't we doing anything about it? Crazy. So just as Nehemiah was opposed, we're, as Rob said, I think it was last week, we are going to face opposition. There's for sure going to be opposition because the Canaanites don't want you to put up that wall and be defined. Not to worry, though. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah 9, 7. So God's word tells us that his kingdom will come gradually and victory is certain. But we're the hands and feet of Christ. We are the ones. We're the boots on the ground. We're the boots on the ground. And... We were created for good works. And what are those good works? They all are organized 
and and given to us by God who has a bigger overall plan. And that plan is to be as representative as on earth so that we have to we have to pick up we we, we have to pick up our our trowels and our hammers and get to work. Um, there has to be tangible action. Remember, retell, and relay. This is something that we're told how to do. We just have to do it. So the battlefield or the you know the construction site, it's as close as your children. We have to tell specifically moms and dads who have kids, we have to tell them about the Lord day day in and day out, day and night. You have to get theology and the knowledge of the word into their heads. And it's not impossible. Um, we were going through the simple theology book this morning, and oh my goodness, kids' minds are way better than adults' minds. <laughs> they're primed, they're designed to learn. And, you know, my kids are memorizing things at a rate that's insane compared to my own abilities. But you have to actually take the action to to do it. Um, so read the Bible with them, right? Take them through the catechisms. Take the scripture, put it up on the wall so that we're looking at it every day. Make it impossible for anyone to mistake your kids or you for being a neutral non-Christian because there's no neutrality. There's no neutrality. It's Christ or chaos. You're with Christ or you're not. Make it impossible for someone to look at that kid and be like, eh, regular person. No. We're building the boundary so they look at it and they go, wow, that person is surrounded by the words of God. That's our job as parents. The battlefield is also as close as your job. We have to live out Christ's attributes as his representative. Refuse to go along with the corrupt culture. Easier said than done. It's not loving to wink at or approve of sin. It's not loving because that is going to destroy them. And by saying, hey man, you do you. That, that, <laughs> that's condemning that person. Um, don't use people's pronouns. That's insanity. You're helping them be insane. And it's not the Lord's way. So we, we don't. Go along with the culture. We have a we have a barrier, and it's the barrier is knowledge of God's word, and we can pass that to our coworkers. They may or may not like it, but the Holy Spirit works in people's hearts through many ways, and we don't know what that moment is going to be. But if you're being faithful, the the Holy Spirit uh, can work in that. So Christ hung out with sinners, right? He went to the uh, he went to the tax collectors house and had dinner you know he hung out with the, the prostitutes and and everybody but christ required repentance he didn't say yeah this is that's your truth but i'm going to be nice to you because i don't want you to think that i'm like a bigot <laughs> he required a change he required repentance and he required a change luke 13 5 says unless you repent you all you will all likewise perish that's what it says. The battlefield is as close as your family members, your extended family. So will you give an account on the last day to Aunt Millie or to God Almighty? It's God Almighty. Retell and relay God's, God's law and his testimonies. Live among your extended family in such a way that it leaves no mystery about which side of that wall you're on. They have to look at you and go, Surrounded by surrounded by Bible verses, 
Like, there should be no question if we follow this. There should be no question. Pray, obviously, pray for them that the Holy Spirit will move their hearts and, the, you know, seize that dinner conversation at Thanksgiving. Seize it for Christ and his kingdom. So whoever, wherever the kingdom has been diluted uh, with, you know, like, platitudes or moral confusion or vague spirituality, there's your battleground. There's, there's your construction site. That's where you can... Um, that's your place on the wall, in other words, back to this Nehemiah story. That's your place on the wall to remember, to retell, and relay this information to the people that need it. Each time, each time you bear witness to his testimony by retelling a story of something God has done, you're building. You're building the wall. Each time you obey his good and perfect law that makes everything better when it's followed, you're rebuilding. Each time you read his word so that you're reminded of and remember his, his goodness, his glory, his deeds, his attributes, you're rebuilding. Because now that information can be passed on, and it changes you. And each time you obey God's commands, you're building. So, something I have to say. We have to remember that building the kingdom is his project. It's his project. Because we can kind of get... Oh no, what have I done today? You know, my hammer has dust on it over there in the corner of my room. It is God's project. God is the foreman, so to speak. If you want to do the battle analogy, God's the general. He's got an overall plan, and his plan includes us. And he works in strength. His strength is made manifest in the weakness of people. Just like when we were led in worship by people who didn't were weren't really feeling up to the task. God works in weakness we're just his tools we're his participants i mean we're we're the means by which he does things on the earth and that is our part so but we don't have to worry about whether or not this is going to happen because isaiah 9 7 says his kingdom will never shrink only grow his kingdom will never shrink only grow, and it'll happen because jesus says i've been given all authority in heaven and on earth therefore Therefore, because of this, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, right? There's a logical flow there. We don't go make disciples of all nations. This is not some effort that we're just trying to do. We're doing it because Christ has all authority, so we know it's possible. We know it's possible. The rewards I talked about earlier, hope, faithfulness, steadfastness, and strength, they're really needed right now, uh, especially hope, right? So if you're miserable and you have no hope, read this book. It's right here. And be faithful to remember for your own benefit and others. There's so many people that need the hope as well. Hold on steadfastly to the Lord's ways. The Lord isn't just here to say, ha-ha, don't have fun, obey this crazy set of rules. He designed the earth to work a certain way. And when we follow his ways, things go well. Latch on to a Christian community. Some, a lot of you in this room are latched on to this one, and that's good. I am too. Christian community like this, it's the backbone of God's covenant kingdom. and has high value, and people are desperately starving for this. That's true. We, that's true. We don't have it perfect, right? You can't have a barn full of sheep without some manure, right? But those sheep are valuable, and there's safety inside the fold. 
Did I say that uh, sanitized enough? It's what we have is of high value and it's desperately needed and people are desperately seeking it out. We hear all the time as elders, people come to us and say, hey, I visited your church and it's, it's different. And we don't say, now we're going to shackle to you a chair, shackle you to a chair, so you'll come back. No, they come back because this is high value, and it's the the backbone of the community of God. So, final application points: there must be tangible action. Remember, retell, and relay. Surround yourself with the Word to the point of where it's impossible for you to conform, and where it's impossible for you to pretend like you're a neutral party. Because there's no neutrality. It's, it's all right here. Surround yourself with the word. Obey Christ. Obey him and his commandments. If we love him, we'll obey his commandments. And we're all in different places. And there's a ton of grace. And, and over time, he sanctifies us. We get better and better at it. But we got to practice. we got to practice. And he will give us the power to do that. And live in the light of truth. Don't pretend with everything that's going out there. You're not a part of that. There's a boundary between you and them. And you are not a Canaanite. You don't pretend like the Canaanites have it right. We have the truth. This is the truth right here. We have it. So we can't go along with those things that are obviously lies. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, glad to be here. I ask you now, to give us strength to do the good work that you've created us for from before the, the beginning of the world. Help us to more faithfully image you, Jesus, and help us to act as your representatives in the sight of unbelievers. Help us to retell to future generations the testimonies and the law that you have given to us in the word. I pray that you would grant us influence to those who need to hear about you, to those people who need hope. Lord, as we work to build your kingdom, grant us influence among the people that need you and the the people that you want to bring in to the fold. Lord, let the earth be as filled with the knowledge of the glory of you as the waters cover the sea. And let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.